Hey everybody, welcome to episode 75, we made it to 75, of Making It. Yeah, I'm Bob Claggett, here with David Vichuto. Hey, I knew I was going to go first. I I told you last week. Yeah, maybe that's how I knew. Yeah. And Jimmy Dresta. Hey guys, how's it going? Good. What are you guys up to? I'm upstate, so I'm upstate, I get to work in the backyard for a few days, which is super amazing, working in the sun. I'm building Walls for Trade Show, which will only be exclusively on Snapchat mm. because Ooh. they're too boring to make a video of. <laughs> and I won't be able to stage them and videotape what they're going to fo- finally look like. So they're just pieces, just, you know, just a paying gig. And uh, I'm recovering from Saturday's surgery. I don't know if you guys know that I, I finally went in for my sinus lift. Mm. And if you guys don't know what a sinus lift is. Google it. Got Botox on the inside of your nose? Is that what it was? <laughs> no, you know, you know, your sinuses line the top of your, you know, your teeth. So on your upper jaw. So I'm getting two implants side by side, and uh, in the back. And to prepare the area, they need to graft bone. And to put bone, they put it inside your skull. And to put it inside <laughs> your skull, they got to make a window in your jaw. And to put a window in your jaw, they got to cut open your gum line. And to put the bone in there, they have to lift up the bottom of your sinuses. So, I went through all uh, that. That's crazy. awesome. Yeah. Awesome. That's why <laughs> I look like I just got out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> How's your wart doing since we're on the top? <laughs> <laughs> I scissored it off. I just cut it off with a little pair of scissors. Oh. And it hurt. And then I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do like that deep burn. I'm going to do that deep cauterizing it. Probably do that tonight when I get my, get my strength up. Get your plasma cutter out. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to put my finger on the Cut other side off. of the steel. <laughs> also exclusively on Snapchat. <laughs> and, and I, oh, man, it's tough getting old. Don't get old, guys. It's tough. Okay. No, but the only reason I bring up that 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 lift, the, the, that thing, that, that process that's taken it up, I asked the doctor a million questions, as I typically do, and I said, look, I don't care. You know, I said, I totally trust you, because she, she was, like, kind of qualifying every step. I was like, no, I'm just curious, because, you know, I do woodwork, and I'm just wondering how. So, I, that's why I just, if you take a, a quick look, if you're curious about these type of things, it's just amazing that somewhere along the line, somebody was the first to undergo this procedure and say, all right, let's give it a shot. And so, now, here I am, you know, one of the, the multi-millionth person going through the procedure, you know, trusting the procedure and taking it down the road. But, uh, yeah, so here I am. It's it sounds really, it sounds like a long-term thing. Like what's the recovery time of all that? Um, well, is that multiple processes? Or yeah. This, so what we did is she went in and made like a little window in the side of my jaw so she could see what's going on just above the teeth. And, uh, you got to lift the sinus lining, the membrane at the bottom of the sinus. And she said there's a 30% chance that it, it'll perforate. And so we have to close it up and just let it heal again. And of course, I was in that 30%. So she closed it up and she said, I'll see you in six weeks. You know, if you have any problems, I'll see you in between. But so far, so good. I just can't open my mouth too far. And I have to remember not to sniffle, which I can't help but do. And I cannot sneeze. Because now, like, imagine your sinuses. Imagine there's a hole in your sinus and your gum line and you blow your nose really hard. Your gum line will fill mm. with air. So it's just mm. pretty incredible. Well, how do you stop yourself from sneezing if you have to sneeze? Um, well, the first couple of days were pretty treacherous. So Saturday, Sunday, Monday, it was yesterday. 
Um, I actually sneezed today and I didn't really feel anything. So I didn't feel my cheek puff mm. out when I sneezed. So <laughs> I sneezed today like um, completely unexpectedly. But uh, I'm just really trying to be careful not to sniffle, sneeze, blow my nose and do all these things. So we got to go yeah. back in and try again. We'll see. Hopefully it'll work. But uh, having broken the ice and, and gotten through the beginning of the very beginning of it, I, I think I could survive this technique. I was nervous, very nervous at first, but people have gone through a lot worse. And mm. at the end of it, I'll have two new teeth in the back of my mouth. So got to remember that. It's true. That's the you prize. Have a lot more opportunity to eat. That's the prize. <laughs> it's like buy a, buy a brand new car or get new teeth. Mm, I actually really want to yeah. rather have the new car. <laughs> <laughs> so I've noticed that you've been upstate. It seems like to me anyway, you've been upstate a lot more in the last few weeks. Is that true or does it just look like that? Uh, no, you, it's it's true. I'm just, I'm slowly kind of working up here more and more. Some of the jobs I'm doing are kind of more jobs I could do up here outside. And uh, it's it's definitely where we want to end up ultimately. So this is sort of practice and, and I'm trying to alleviate my neighbors of me making noise and being crazy. And then I'm also exploring my options for long-term up here. I have a couple of uh, properties. I, have, I mean, I could still either build, buy this building or buy that building. And so it's just like being up here, mm. I feel like is making all that happen faster for whatever that's worth. So, yeah, that makes sense. And it's just, it's just nice being up here. I mean, like I said, uh, it's definitely the turn that I've been wanting to make for a long time. And I just haven't had a chance to. And now, now that I'm making some money on YouTube and not having to physically work as much and hustle down in the city as much, I could come up here and do, you know, more long-term stuff. So. Thanks. Turning. Slow turn. So I'm working on the book. I'm not sure if I mentioned what the book is about last time, but it's all cutting boards. And so we have three done and uh, a bunch more to go. And I just ordered a bunch of bamboo, which came in this like I saw that. long, long strip, and uh, it looks looks beautiful. Uh, a little expensive, but I think it'll it's going to make some some pretty cutting boards. So that's what I'm working on right now. The I forget what the exact date is. I think it's late October. It's supposed to come out in time for for Christmas shopping. Hmm. So that's what I'm working on right now. How many uh, cutting boards are going to be in it? Do you know? Um, I. I'm I'm supposed to know. Uh, I have a <laughs> I have a list, but I don't remember what it is. I, I'm thinking like ten to twelve, hmm. and anyway, they're all from like super easy beginning ones to like more complicated uh, with lots of patterns and summer end grain and and summer long grain and uh, a wide variety. the The thought process behind the book was it was the publisher's idea to do a cutting board book, and it seems like. Um, woodworkers one of their first projects is a cutting board and so and there's no cutting board books out there now hmm. so uh it could be a, a great book for somebody just wanting to get into woodworking and some nice easy projects yeah definitely that's surprising that there's not books about it yeah hmm. well good for you thank you uh for me i the video that's coming out this week is a uh so i carry because of jimmy I carry a small tape measure on my keys all the time now after about a year, I guess. And it's just super handy to have a little six foot, one of those thin tapes, use it all the time. And, um, I, they jangle, they're like cheap plastic, that metalized plastic. And so they jangle against my keys all the time and they make just like a clicking sound cause they're cheap. 
And so I always wrap them in electrical tape so they don't make that sound. Well, the other day I saw a picture on Instagram. Um, somebody had a wooden tape measure, and I was like, oh, that would be a perfect replacement for this, you know, wrapped in electrical tape tape measure. So um, on my live stream last week, I just I asked people what they wanted to see and told them that as one of the options, and they said, yeah, let's figure it out. So I made a prototype um, of a wooden tape measure. I opened this up, pulled the tape out, made a wooden case for it to put in, and learned a whole lot in the live stream. Got a lot of great suggestions, as usual, from the people watching. And so then after that, I went back and made another one in you know w- with all the knowledge that I gained from the prototype. And so that's going to be. Were you week. able and to maintain control of the spring? Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, the first time I undid the whole thing on purpose, like I'm just going to let it go and wrap it back up. And then when I made the video for YouTube, I was able to to pull the top off and keep everything intact. Mm-hmm. And then just hold it and move it into the new case, you know, without anything moving. And it was way faster and more correct. Like it's still tensioned correctly and all that stuff. So oh, good. that was actually a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. But nice. yeah, that's what I've been up to. And trying to get everything caught up so we can go to VidCon next week. Whoop, whoop. So anybody who's listening, who's whoop, going to VidCon, whoop. David and I will be there. Jimmy's not going. I'm going to stay in the city and work or in the country, work on stuff. So we'll be there. You're there. Let us know. We'll say hi. Is there a schedule or anything? Like, uh, I know Casey, I've been watching Casey and he said he's having a party. I don't know if y'all be able to get in that party, but is there any kind of schedule or speakers that you guys are going to want to see? There is a big schedule. um, And apparently there's a whole lot of stuff that is interesting that overlaps like so you can't see it all but I actually haven't looked at the schedule yet so I don't have any clue what I'm going to do there. <laughs> I've looked at the list of the, uh, the list of presenters but I have not seen the actual schedule. I figured mm. just wing it when we get there. Yeah. I mainly I mean I've just talked to other some other creators that I've never met, you know, in person that are going to be there and that's kind of what I'm focusing on is just making sure that I can catch up with these people and say hi at least and stuff. All right. I have a different objectives. Like usually we go to these events, you know, it's all about meeting everybody and, and, and talking to the people that watch and listen. And this time it's all about, I'm trying to learn. I'm going to try to catch as many presentations as I can, soak in as much information as I can, and hopefully leave with new knowledge. Is there anything specific that you're looking to get out of it? Like of, of the knowledge? Uh, I think storytelling. As I do, as I get into more vlog stuff, I I want to just I want to hear how other people have learned to storytell because that's a mm-hmm. that's a skill that could. It's not only good for the vlogs, but it's also good for project videos because if a project has a story to it and you know how to tell that story, that makes that video a little bit more engaging, a little bit more fun for everybody. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Cool. Cool. So this week, we are asking each other questions that we wrote. (gasps) So Mm. uh, I got a question for Bob and a question for Jimmy. So I'll start off with Bob. Uh, Bob, my question for you is, it's about inspiration. What inspired you as a teenager or a young adult? And what inspires you now? And how does that inspiration affect what you do? Ooh. Hmm. Um, I think as a teenager, I was really inspired by, uh, musicians, probably the biggest, you know, like 
uh, a lot of watching Jimi Hendrix play for the first time blew my mind. And it was like, I wasn't introduced to him as a, as a young kid. It was like, you know, probably as a teenager. Um, I actually, I know what it was. You remember the Columbia house, like CD club sure. thing, mm-hmm. you know, where you, you get 10 CDs free and then you have to pay 80 bucks a piece after that, that yep. kind of thing. So I ordered a, a few and there were a few left over and I was like, Oh, Jimi Hendrix. I, he's probably somebody I should know about. I don't really know, you know. And so I ordered this CD live at Winterland, listened to it, and was completely floored. And then I was like, okay, I have to have everything Jimi Hendrix that I can possibly get my hands on. <laughs> and uh, some from watching videos of him play and stuff, it just really blew my mind that somebody could be like that. And that was a big inspiration for me getting back into music and trying to be in bands rather than... Because I grew up playing classical piano, and so to go in the rock direction was a very kind of big shift. Um, so that was big. And then like Nirvana was coming out in that same time period and they really stood out in my mind from what else was happening. And so I was inspired by music. Uh, these days I think music is still a big part of it. Even though I play music, one of the things that I think, uh, about musicians that I like is that they do things that I am not capable of. And that's inspiring to me. So when I listen to certain bands, I go, oh, you know, like in my head, I'm like, oh, I could write a song that's that good. And then when it comes down to it, I can't. And so the thing that's <laughs> inspiring about it is that is that these people are so good at what they do. And it's a place that I probably won't ever be. But it's motivating for me to try mm-hmm. to be better at what I do, you know. And, and, and it's not just music, but that's something that still, I still see that in myself going like, wow, that album, I could never do that. <laughs> I don't need to do that. That's not my thing. But... You know, um, so I think a lot of people, anybody that's that's excels at what they do, and it's something that I have no business doing, is inspiring to me. Which sounds kind of weird now that I say it out loud. Yeah, but it makes sense. It makes total sense. Yeah, we were in the car just the other day, and and um, a song comes up on our uh, on iTunes, and Kelly was like, "Why can't we just write songs like that?" and because it's just not that easy. It's, it's yeah. like it's really hard to write a good catchy hook, and uh, it's, it's it's tough. But it's inspiring to to hear that stuff because it gets me excited as well. Yeah, we were listening last night to a lot of old rock and roll, like Deep Purple, like early deep, you know, really beginning seventies, all this stuff. And Taylor just kept saying, "Why doesn't music sound like this anymore?" You know, it's so soulful mm-hmm. and and with all those good good hooks. But you know, as music evolves through the generations and through the through the different time periods it's funny it just doesn't seem the same you know i haven't heard anything new lately that really sounds like anything as good as that's going to last for 30 years but then again yeah you you really got to be away from it before you really start to to see if it is going to last that long one of the interesting things about music too is that you know we as a musician you generally build on when you write music you build on the experiences that you've had and so you build on the stuff that you were listening to so if you go back and look at you know every five years from 1970 you see that the next generation of songwriting is really an evolution of what was right before it but then you go like three or four generations and there's a whole bunch of stuff being like five-year generations there's a whole bunch of stuff that's lost like that soulfulness came right out of the blues Right. But then by the time it was blues rock and then it moved on to rock 
and then it moved on to Punk. metal, you know, <laughs> that, yeah, like all those different evolutions and pieces get left behind and a lot of the soul gets left behind. And then at it's one really point, good, a lot of the, a lot of the punk, a lot of the punk got left behind in the alternative stuff, you know, and it's like, you just, you only take with you what really spoke to you as you start to write music. So, And as we yes. get older, we always think back, we always think like, oh, they don't make things like yeah. they used to, but <laughs> the kids growing up now love, they love what is currently out. You know, it, yeah. it speaks to them. They're just wrong, but yeah, no, just yeah, <laughs> no, you're, not, you're not kidding. They are wrong. <laughs> you know, it's a funny, funny experiment that I do that you guys could do as, you know, talking about generations. Whenever I have my classes, I become comfortable with my class in the beginning of each semester. I start asking them if they know who certain people are. And it's funny. Just as, you know, like to gauge it, who, where they yeah, are. Yeah, like, do you guys know who uh, John Lennon is? Do you guys know who, you know, these you know, famous songwriters or whatever, or pop culture people? And it's funny, you know, the generations really disconnect from previous generations. And, you know, I like to think I know everything. You know, somebody once said, uh, oh, what do you know about Abe Lincoln? And me, we were in a group of friends. And, she, and this girl goes, he died before I was born. He goes, so you don't know about anything before you were born? That's a real ignorant question, you know, answer for that question. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so it was just funny. I mean, she was a millennial who answered that way. But uh, it's just funny how, you know, generations go and things get, get left behind. It's mm-hmm. it's hard to believe, you know, when you're, when, when, you're, when you're as old as us and you can look back and see all these different things. And you're like, how could somebody not be curious about this or that? I think you'll find like a lot of um, talented musicians study the previous generations. And like, you know, so there are a lot of bands now, like bands that I like, you could tell like they were big fans of like the Rolling Stones or the, or the Beatles or Led Zeppelin, right? And so I tried to take that approach into woodworking. So when I first got started into woodworking, I was actually studying like all the different styles of previous generations and and green and green and 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 all that and i learned from that like what i did like and what i didn't like and tried to incorporate that into what i do now so i i it's it's there's a lot of parallels between making and music mm-hmm. totally cool so are we ready to move on to the next question let's do it <laughs> so my question for jimmy is uh this one's about feedback um either from comments or from clients, what type of feedback do you enjoy the most and how does it affect how you design and build future projects? Uh, I like constructive criticism. I can certainly listen to somebody telling me something I don't know, but when it's framed with a sarcastic comment, it just immediately makes me defensive. So when, uh, when, when somebody gives me a comment, that say, hey, you know, nice, uh, nice attempt. Next time you should try this. And, and if it comes through from a genuine place, you could certainly hear that. But when sometimes, you know, I'll do an axe handle and someone will be like, you, you're a moron. You have no idea what you're doing. You should have done this. It makes me not listen. So, but when someone comes at you with mm-hmm. a, with a constructive criticism and, you know, they don't have to compliment me, but it just has to come from a place of honesty without any disdain it certainly makes me listen. And I've learned a tremendous amount from the comments. You know, one simple thing, which is I'm going to, I actually Snapchatted about it 
couple of years, about a year ago, I, I did one of the tool restorations and some guy, he was a little snarky, but he said, he goes, there's no reason to sand all that rust off. Just put it in white vinegar and it will dissolve the rust. And I never knew that. And since that comment, I do that all the time and it works really well. I actually tested it. I'm like, does this really work? So I tried it. And so this next video I'm, uh, in an upcoming video, I'm going to restore three tools, basically unrust them, two of them are chisels. So I'll make handles for them. Uh, and just kind of restore a sexy set of scissors and a pair of pliers. So that's, just, I, I, there are lots of comments that were constructive, positive feedback that I do from time to time. And I certainly remember the moment I learned them. So, uh, and coming from clients, it's just, I've said it a hundred times. It's just really important to get your communication down. And then when you're into a job with a client, if that client starts becoming difficult, just only talk to them through email so that you have everything in an email. When you start chit-chatting with them and, and they're like, I didn't say that. I didn't say that color. What are you talking about? That's why when you realize somebody starts to go in that direction when you're already in the mud with them, it's important to just stay inside the emails. And uh, so just constructive criticism will always stay with you. And you know, that being said, there are moments in time, like every time I do something, I always, in my mind, I get an instant flash of the person that taught me that. And it's, it's funny how that stays with me personally. Like every time mm. I grab, you know, like when, uh, for instance, when you pull a nail, right, you pull a nail and it gets really far out. And then if you have a, either a piece of wood or another hammer, you, you lift up the head and stick it underneath there and pull it some more. So you basically pull the nail, then raise the head up and pull it some more to get the nail completely out. I learned that from my uncle, my dad's brother. He just showed it to me on a job once. And so every time I do that, I get that instant flash of him just like showing me really quick and saying, that's how you do that. And he walked away. He was always, he was very gruff. Um, my uncle Tony. So the, <laughs> like dumb things like that. Like, so in a day I get flashes. I mean, it might happen unconsciously, obviously consciously as well, but I get tens of flashes of, of memories of people teaching me things. So. When anybody gives me constructive criticism, it, it always gets put in the gets put on the bulletin board of my brain. So mm. it's some something I I love that story. And something that I've learned recently is uh, when it comes to comments, I have a, I look at them a little bit different now because somebody commented on something and it sounded rude. And then like right away they left another comment saying Sorry for my English. It's not my first language. And hmm. that kind of hit me. I'm like, there's a lot of comments that I probably thought were rude, but much of my audience, English is not their first language. So yeah. uh, it maybe it, it comes off the wrong way. And so it's ever since then, I, I have a little different view on the comments and I'm, I take them a little bit easier now. That's a very good point. And I, and I must say, you know, lately I haven't been getting any rude comments. Um Hardly any at all. You know, I get a couple of thumbs down, but that's fine. You know, that doesn't mean anything. But people always say, like, if they do see me respond to a rude comment, they're like, you get so many positive ones. Why do you focus on the negative ones? I delete like nine out of 10 of them. So if somebody really just says something nasty, I just delete it and I don't even reply to it. But if it's something where I could be snarky and funny, but also give a little bit of information, then I'll answer back. You know, if it's an opportunity that, they, you know, by my reply, I'm writing a joke. I'll definitely add that up. But the comments in the last few months have been all, you know, thumbs up, positive. And like I said, when somebody sees me do something, it's like, 
oh, you know what? That reminds me of this time my grandfather taught me this. And I love that. And, you know, that's how the whole community benefits. So stuff like that is just, is just great. Yeah, a couple nice. times I've gotten the, why didn't you do this? And usually, like, my first thought is, because this is the way I want to do it. But once in a while, I'm like, crap, I never even thought to do it that way. That would have been so much easier. Yeah, that, I've gotten a lot of that. It's like, hey, why didn't you just? And I was like, damn, I wish I would have thought to do that before I started the video. It would have been a lot easier. I, that you gets saved me a, a ton of time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Cool. Was that a sufficient answer? I'm or, satisfied. Okay, cool. My <laughs> turn. So, this one's for David. Imagine, let me take you away. No, I'm just kidding. Imagine that the next year is the best year of your life. Okay. Hands down. Mm -hmm. You get a year from today and you're like, that last year was amazing. Mm -hmm. What is it that made it amazing? Very specifically. Uh, (laughs) When it comes to (laughs) dollar bills, (laughs) dollar bills make me happy. Um, When it comes to work stuff and content creation stuff, that is people, I can tell how well a video is done by how many shares it gets. And if it gets picked up by certain publications or whatever, and those shares turn into more subscribers and more views and um, more engagement. And so when it, so success there is just more, more shares and people saying, Hey, check out what this guy's doing. Cause that makes me feel really, really good. Um, and then personal life is just like um, doing fun things with, with Kelly going out, having a good time, um, just growing older together and just making memories with her. So uh, it's funny you ask that because this past year was the best year of my life. And the year before that was at that time the best year of my life. And so it just seems like every year it's just getting better. And it's, 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 uh, it's really helped my my attitude towards a lot of things as, as hmm. I have a little bit more success, I'm a little bit happier and I have a better view on things. So there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that it's, this next year would be the best year of my life. Hmm. Good answer. Okay. Well, I'll ask you in a year and then you can tell me if you were right, right. about those All things. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is for Jimmy. Uh Oh, so yeah, I'm going to get you. Um, historically, Everybody knows Jimmy Duresta as the guy who can do just about anything, right? You do all sorts of different types of work. You work yeah. with all sorts of different types of tools, techniques, materials, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is something that you cannot do better at? <laughs> something, and it doesn't have to be in the shop, but like what's something that you have, have gotten, you've tried and failed or just not been as good as you want, and you will not get better at it ever in your life? Typing on an iPhone. <laughs> everything i reply to i have to type 14 times i literally have to type it reread it and like every single autocorrect is wrong it is the most difficult thing for me and because i kind of slur and i have a bad new york accent when i try and do type to text it has no idea what i'm trying to say and sometimes when i'm talking to somebody i'll do type to text and and i'll and i'll hit send because i'm driving and then i read the text 10 minutes later and i have to go back and say i didn't mean all those weird things that i just said <laughs> <laughs> so writing is extremely difficult for me i mean i'm just trying to be funny but 
writing is really hard for me. There's so many opportunities. Mm -hmm. People say, can you write an article for us? Can you write a column for us? Can you do a daily this or that? That's why I stay away from like the daily vlogs like you guys both do, you know, and you guys are so articulate and writing up your plans and all these things. All that stuff for me is very difficult. When I have to sit down at a keyboard and put my thoughts, like I would always sit when I was in elementary school, it'd be like, okay, write a book report. I literally would open that little blue composition book and I'm like, this book was good. I liked it. And then after that, I could not figure out what else to write. And I'd see hmm. kids and they like they'd be on their fourth page and they're like, can I get another composition book? I filled this one up. And I could not figure out how to get out of my brain like the enthusiasm I had for something. And at that point, it all was just me faking it because there was nothing there. Like I, I when it comes to articulating and turning like thoughts and all this stuff into words, for me, it's always been extremely difficult. So like if you see my replies, I'll get like fan mail that's – Gorgeous. Like I said, thought of my fan mail will make me cry. And I just write, that was beautiful. Because that's the most imp- thing that I could say that is honest. And mm. I, I, they, I can write back seven to 10 words and that's it. I mean, if I try and go past that, the sentences will start making no sense and they'll be backwards and flipped upside down. And I don't know where to put periods <laughs> and commas. And, and I've always been learning disabled. I mean, that was what I was classified my whole life. Even uh, I guess around seventh, sixth or seventh grade from that point until I graduated high school, I was always considered learning disabled. And I would go to this special room throughout school and they would say, I I never knew what I was diagnosed with. They just said, you're learning disabled. And then by the time I graduated, I was re-diagnosed as being just simply lazy. They said, your your IQ is high enough. You can do all these things. You're just lazy. Hmm. And I said, maybe I'm lazy. Maybe I'm just not interested. Uh, But- Honestly, the struggle in my life has always been being able to articulate um, the thoughts and comments. I mean, and it's it's absolutely one of the benef- uh, one of the big factors that why I don't talk in my videos because when I when I hear other YouTubers, I mean, well, when I started, I just was annoyed that other YouTubers would talk. Now there's so many articulate, beautiful voiceovers that people do. Um, I just didn't think I'd have enough to say. I'd be like, yeah, look, this is how you do. You just cut it. Just this is that's it. Like, what else am I going to say? Just watch me cut it, and that's how you cut it. So that was like yeah. my point of view. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess that would be it. Because mm-hmm. every day I open an email and go to answer somebody, and I just struggle. Like I just, I'm pitching around a concept to a couple of advertisers, and so today I wrote a few emails, and I just was struggling with it. And mm-hmm. I just keep it short and sweet to the point, and that's why I, I guess that's. It's been a benefit in the way that I'm super frank with people. And, uh, you know, people ask me a question. I'll say, yeah, sure. Let's, what do you want to do? You know, like that's how I say it instead of trying to articulate this long drawn out answer that I'm doing now. <laughs> but I, mean, I, well, I, I see it in your tweets because your tweets are nice and short and simple and, and to the point. And I think people have just come to learn, like, that's how Jimmy replies. It's nice. It's, he says everything that he needs to say in a few words. Yeah. yeah. And I don't I know Bob wants to say something. There's one more thing that I want to say yeah. is in your videos where you talk, I love them because it shows mm-hmm. your personality and they, Thank it you. just comes off as, as real and it's, and it's you. So I do love it when you talk in your videos. No, thank you. I'm getting more, I'm definitely getting more comfortable. And there are moments in time when I teach, I, I remember the very first day I taught. Now I've been teaching since 1994, September of 94 was my very first day. I was hired to teach. The teachers, my, my, the guy who hired me said, put together some ideas, came up with some ideas. And at the time there was no email. So I had to meet him and show him what I was going to do. 
And uh, he said, all right, cool. He goes, uh, you know, you have an you have three hours. So I was horrified. Class started. I was staring at a bunch of students. I talked for 10 minutes and I ran out of things to say. And I was like, I'm, why did I say yes to this? This is a terrible idea. I have no idea how to keep the air filled with words. And, but as I really began to physically do stuff, then I had things to talk about. You know, uh, my brother, John, who's an actor, he says, when you have physical things to do in a scene, it makes it seem more natural to be able to accompany that with dialogue. So he says, uh, and that's hmm. been a great help for me is being able to do things physically and have some dialogue. So when I walk around the house and I'm showing off my garbage and the things I found in the trash, it's real easy for me because I have things to talk about, objects to talk about. But, uh, you know, to just kind of like compose on a subject has always been a little bit hard for me. But as, as uh, the point I made is as I was teaching, the more I got into it and the more I had things to, to talk about physically, uh, all of a sudden I'd fill up three hours of conversation and the students would be all waiting with their book bags and jackets on waiting to leave. I'm like, oh, it's three o'clock already. All right, you guys can leave. So it, uh, you know, it comes to me. And then when I'm in the, you know, when I'm in the, when I'm in the groove, it's hard to shut me up. But <laughs> getting that on paper has been the most difficult thing, honestly. So to follow that up, um, if writing is the thing you have the most trouble with uh, articulation, I know you make things, obviously, but what's the, what's the thing that you use to articulate like what how do you articulate articulate something in the most effective way uh just when i build stuff a lot of times when i'm trying to have a conversation with somebody about a design and they say i'm trying to talk to them and i say you know what just give me a piece of paper and i'll just draw it for you so i'm I'm fairly good at drawing three-dimensional views and schematics and helping people understand through paper. I mean, the best, uh, again, nonverbal communication when I go to China all the time, I spent many years going to China in the 90s, developing toys and developing uh, injection molded products. I would sit with the factory managers in Southern China and, and around Beijing and, and I would just draw pictures. And they all became to know me as like the, you know, the American that draws pictures. I hardly talk. So I would sit at a table with a bunch of copy paper and a pencil and I would draw pictures of the things that needed to be fixed and made. And, uh, you know, everything was all a development. So we'd get an injection mold, you know, it's like going to tooling and then you get your tooling and then you get your first shots and then it has to be fixed. And so I would drew, do drawings of modifications and they would all, ah, you know, they would go like that and everybody would understand. So it was kind of a very, a very articulate, non-worded communication, non-verbal, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't, and there was no email at the time. So, um, I was always drawing pictures. So visually uh, is, is my way of, of communicating and articulating just visually. And again, that's why my videos have mostly just images and no conversation. And uh, yeah. So, and then another thing that, that I just cannot get better at uh, is, is precision is, uh, you know, it's funny. I had a conversation once a really quick dialogue with switch and labor, you know, Daniel, Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, I go, I wish I could be as precise as you. And he wrote back to me, he said, I wish I could be as loose as you. So, you know, we both look at okay. each other and, uh, you know, there's the switch and lever and then there's uh, sna- uh, Chris, uh, is it the click spring? I, I see those guys and I see something uh, like uh, I see a place in the world I'll never be. I could never be able. The minute I try and cut something, the bit breaks, it burns, my speed is feed, this is all wrong. I burn the bit out. I have to go find a new bit. 
So I am just like a sloppy precision craftsman. I'm a sloppy non-precision craftsman is what I meant to say. So when I use the lathe and the milling machine, I'm just going by feel. You know, if it looks right, it feels right. It works. You know, I make sometimes I make the part three times before I get it right. It's it's funny, like going back to music, there are very precise guitar players. And then there's also like a sloppy guitar player, not sloppy as in like timing, but sloppy right. as in like when you watch old Nirvana videos, like totally Kurt is what like you mean. hitting way too many strings at one time. Or some of the strings are playing yeah. notes and some of them are kind of half muted. And, and so there's there's precision and sloppiness and they both work. It depends on how mm-hmm. you can make them work for what you're doing. It's, it's, it's a really good analogy because it's always been an analogy that I paid attention to is like, cause I listen to lots and lots of music, of course. And I listen to, to, to jazz and rock and roll and, you know, country music. And some of it is sloppy and some of it is precise. And I actually have really made that comparison about my work where when I get frustrated and I can't be as precise as I want to be, I just say, oh, well, I'm just, I'm a sculptor. I'm not a machinist. And so just remember that. Don't try and don't get upset being not what you really want to be or not what you are anyway. So just take it for what it is. And so uh, that analogy is something I've actually made in my own mind. You know, when you listen to Hendrix, of course, who, you know, who doesn't love Hendrix? You talked about it, Bob. And when you listen to him play Voodoo Child, it's just him just like jamming on the strings and just finding all that sloppy, you know, rhythm that just works (laughs) so well. And, you know, I've looked at some of the things I build and I've made that analogy. It's like when I listen to songs like that, I know this is so out in left field, but I really have made that analogy. Um, And it helps me be okay with being sloppy. My, My trolls don't understand that, but it helps me be okay with it. That's an interesting thing. I mean, you were talking about the comments earlier about the difference yeah. in language yeah. and how a comment can be taken. It's exactly the same thing. You know, um, imagine you and Daniel from Switch and Lever came to the same project, someone else's project, and you were both watching it. You would have a, an idea about it based on who you are and on your level of precision. He would have probably a very different one, you know. So that's another thing to take into consideration when people comment for positive or negative about your work is they're coming at it with a different set of eyes, a different set of experiences than you are. You know, neither is better or worse. They're just right. coming at it from a different angle. Yep, yep, yep. Hmm. So, yep. Well, that's a good question. Thanks. I mean, I really do struggle with the idea of writing stuff. And you guys know, I mean, I have a book coming out with uh, Make Magazine soon. And it's uh, it, it was not nearly written by me. It was all spoken by me and transcribed and, you know, kind of fixed up a little bit by, by John at make, uh, my co-writer at make. And, uh, we have a manuscript and so we're, we're working through the, uh, couple of fine things. And, and my friend Nick Offerman is doing the forward. So I'm looking forward to that. He promised he would do that a long time ago. And so now here we are. So he's going to do that. So that'll be exciting to see what he writes. So, you know, and, awesome. and, and all the entrepreneurial podcasts and books that I listen to, there, one of the common themes is if you're not good at something, either learn to get good at it or find somebody else to do that for you and focus right. on what you're good at. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I totally agree with that. Yep. So and now is it my turn to ask you guys questions? Yeah. Yep. I have like a vague, like it's, it's not quite as precise as you guys asked because that's how I am. I'm sloppy, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good play. Dave, I wanted to ask you, um, 
I was going to ask you guys like where, where you'll be kind of thing or where you were. Uh, so Dave, where, where do you hope to be at the age of 60? Because 60 for me is 10 years away and I've been thinking about it. I know it's further away than that for you. Mm-hmm. So what do you think life will be like at 60 for you? What do you hope it's like? That's a good question. It's 20 years away for me. So I, and I've said it before, I don't think too far ahead in the future because I'm always changing my mind and I'm always doing the pivot thing where I, I find something new. Um, but right now I have found this thing that I just absolutely love and I can't stop thinking about it. It's always on my mind and I'm always looking for ways to get better at it. And that's just like this, this content creation where I make something and then I share it on the internet. And so when I'm 60, I hope I'm still doing something where I make something and I don't know what the internet's going to be in in 20 years. It could be something totally different with the way that Mm -hmm. technology moves. But I'm hoping I'm still sharing what I'm doing. And whether that's teaching or I maybe by that time I have honed my my artistic skills where I'm doing like more sculpture-based things and, and I have an audience to watch me do that. Uh, I have said many times, like, I, I won't ever retire, retire, you retire from something that you get tired of. And I hope to never get tired of what I'm doing and just constantly making and sharing. That's cool. Will your beard be gray or or will you dye it? Uh, it's, (laughs) I dye it now. (laughs) (laughs) That's what made me think about it because I saw you once with dye on your face. (laughs) It's not Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Um, and, uh, Bob, when you, when, think about when you were 30. Okay. How old are you now? You're 40, 41? 38. 38. Oh, so eight years ago. Wow, I thought you were older. So. Almost 39. So you're exactly 10 years younger than me. So when you were 30, cause I, I was recently reminiscing about the year I turned 30, um, and the things and the goals and stuff. The year you turned 30. Do you, are you where you thought you would be right now when the year you turned 30? Like, you know, I, mm. I thought I would be in a totally different place when I turned 30, where I am right now. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. So looking backwards now in hindsight, as opposed to what I asked Dave. So are yeah, you where I mean, you wanted to be when you were thinking about your life at 30? No, I'm in an entirely different place. At that point I was doing, <clears throat> I was really heavy into software and I had one kid, a newborn. And so at that time I was like thinking, okay, I'm going to, you know, write some really awesome applications and like kind of be in technology from now on. And also dealing with a newborn, like I have no clue what the future looks like. Cause I mean, when you have a kid for the first time, you just, everything goes out the window. You don't know what's up and what's down and all that stuff. Let me ask you a follow up question. Okay. What the hell made you have three more? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, you know how it works, right? You know how, how, <laughs> like, what did you get the stock on Amazon or something? <laughs> this I is not a how to podcast, so we don't have to go into the details. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that was just a joke, but no, I, yeah, you can keep I, talking I, about where you thought you'd be at 30. Well, yeah. I mean, I really thought like career wise, I thought I would be deeper in technology. Um, like, you know, at that point, let's see, at that point I was still working for an ad agency 
and I was doing app development on the side. And so it was kind of always like, well, maybe I'll go back to doing my own thing someday. You know, maybe this app will take off or I'll write some other ones and, you know, I'll become my own boss again someday. But right now it was like a newborn. I was comfy and had benefits from my job and stuff like that. And so, you know, I was kind of just like, at that point, honestly, it was kind of like in survival mode, like, you know, making sure that I have enough income to take care of the kid. And, uh, I was comfortable in the job and everything. So I had no clue that I would be where I am now. I had no clue how big my family would be or that I would leave software or that I would end up making videos because that seemed really far from my personality at the yeah. time. Um, so what did the, what did the 30 year old Bob Claggett think the 40 year old Bob Claggett was going to be? That was, mm-hmm. in, that was a simpler way of articulating my original question. So. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think at that time I just wanted to be like a super cool active dad, you know, cause that, cause as soon as I had a kid, I was like, okay, what do I, what do I want to be when this kid is old enough to like realize who I am? And mm-hmm. like when he's a eight, nine, 10 year old and wants to do things, what kind of dad am I going to be? Am I going to be the absent? Like, I'm going to go drop you off at baseball practice and go do my own thing. Or am I going to be the, Hey, jump in the Jeep with the top off let's go to the mountains, you and me, and do something crazy. Am I, you know, which kind of dad am I going to be? And so at that point, I was really trying to figure out, like, I want to be active in my kids' lives. I want to be, um, I want them to, to grow up and look back and be like, man, my dad did all sorts of awesome stuff. Yeah. And so at, the, at 30, I was trying to figure out, like, what does that look like? How do I prepare for that? How do I get active? How do I, right. you know, you know, it was, it was a lot of, like I said, not having any clue what was going on and trying to figure out like, how do I become who I want to be for my kids over the next 20 years <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so, I mean, for me, honestly, having kids, it's obviously it's a big shift for everybody. Um, but for me, it was a, a real like defining point. Like I'm not, this isn't about me anymore. This is, you know, sure. and I have to decide how much I want it to be about them and how much I want to hold on to, my own goals and my own like self and, you know, and just, I think everybody has to make that decision when they have kids and there's no right or wrong, but everybody has to figure out where they fit there and, and what kind of parent they're going to be. So that was a big thing for me at that age. It seems to me, and maybe I just have a, um, a skewed perspective on things, but it seems now 40 is the new 30 and like 30 is the new 20 right like when i was when i was 15 years old 30 years old 30 year old people just seem old like they had no style and and you know they had uh no (laughs) no voice but now that i'm 40 like i've got 40 year old friends and they all got their own style and and they have their their voice whether on the internet or you know on facebook and people still seem cool i i just thought you lost your coolness as you got older <laughs> and maybe it's always been this way but it's just how i look at it now yeah it's funny because looking up you know you think yeah they, they're old they lost their cool and from their perspective they're like yeah i'm still cool you know it's just <laughs> and it's exactly the same way now my kids will probably look at me in a couple of years and be like no he's not cool and i'm like yeah of course i'm still cool <laughs> i'm still cool with my elastic waist jeans that's right mom jeans <laughs> so it's funny because you said that when when i was a kid my grandparents were in their 70s, I guess, late 60s, early 70s, somewhere in there. And I remember thinking, man, they just move slowly. 
they don't do a lot. I mean, my grand, my granddad was really active and really, you know, he's maybe the exception, but you know how you think of like older people, you think of senior citizens having like relatively limited, um, you know, action that they do and like events and things that they go to and all this stuff, which is totally wrong. Um, but now I look at my dad, my parents who are around that age and they're like, my dad is like super active and my parents are both very healthy and very, you know, engaged and it's, yeah, I don't, maybe it is different. Maybe it's not just our perspective. Maybe we actually are living differently at different ages than we did a generation ago. Cause I don't look at my parents like I looked at my grandparents when they were the same age, for sure. Mm-hmm. So it's funny. I just had this conversation with my mother on uh, on her birthday, early June. I said, "Mom, I go. I, her mother passed away when she was like in her early seventies, but my whole entire life, I look back at my grandmother, and she looked like she was always seventy. Like hmm. I don't remember a time when she looked young. I said, you know, I go." Was your, was your mom, like she always, to me, she just goes, my mother, she was a different, it was a different generation. Hmm. She just like kind of assumed that position of like a mother and grandmother and just stayed there. And she just always seemed old to me. And now when I see people that are her same age, I'm like, you know, if, if I focus on it, I'm like, wow, it's just amazing. Hmm. As a little kid, how much older people really seemed. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we, if our generation or younger generations cling to their youth more than older generations did. Like what you just said was really interesting. Like maybe she just accepted the fact that she was going to be an old lady from then on, whatever that means, you know? Yeah. Uh, Maybe they just accepted the responsibility and the stature and the stuff that went with it. (laughs) And maybe we've been more resistant to that, which is why 30 is or 40 is the new 30, you know? Mm-hmm. It's funny. I mean, I'm, I'm 49 and I, I look back at like the things I've accomplished and the things I have. I'm like, it all seems like it happened by accident. Like, I don't like it's, it's, it's like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm still like a 20 year old moron trying to figure out what I want out of life. <laughs> and I accidentally like had, you know, this minor success with this. And like, I, I, you know, I accidentally got a house and, you know, now I'm trying to think about getting a different property and it just seems so grown up and complicated. I'm just like, oh my God, what a pain in the butt all this is. It's like, how did I get to where I am now? I mean, I still feel like a, like an idiot. <laughs> at 49 but anyway just try and keep one. it <laughs> I should title <laughs> this one Jimmy still feels like an idiot <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. cool well we got any other questions any any bonus questions anybody thought of no yeah. well, that's pretty good that covered a lot cool yeah um, alright well let's uh, thank our patrons real quick before we talk about what we've been watching Especially Make, Build, Modify, Dominic DeFino, John Cornwell, Luis Gonzalez, and Jeremy White. They're our top patrons. But um, Thanks, guys. Everybody who contributes anything is really, really awesome. We're really grateful for it. Thank you all very much. The support is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. What have you guys been uh, watching, listening to, reading, anything? So I have a YouTube channel this week, and it is called Woodbrew. And... The creators on this channel is Molly and Dylan, and they are a young boyfriend-girlfriend team. Like, real young. I'm not sure what their ages are. Um, could be like 16, 17. I'm not positive on that. But hopefully I didn't oh, offend them. Um, I met these guys in Atlanta. You, you guys were in Atlanta, were you? I, I was not, yeah. Yeah, these guys were in Atlanta. These guys are awesome. 
They're super cool. Yeah. And it's just it's just really cool to see young kids making videos and uh, a couple making videos together. Like this, I just I love it. I can't wait to see more videos by them. Hmm. Yep. Cool. Cool couple. I get to hang out with them a little bit. They hung around the hotel a little bit too. Um, Do you remember how old they were? I think they're only like like twenty. Like you know, they're not they're not little little kids. They're like twenty, nineteen, twenty. Okay. They look a little younger than that, but I think that's about how old they were. Okay. Um, I think if I remember correctly, do, do you happen to know, is he from Alabama? Not sure. Because um, a couple guys showed up at the Atlanta show. It's a quick story. And it was me and uh, Brian from Wood Creations. And he parked his truck next to me and they both say, I make. And so I said, hey, who wants to be in the club? And everyone whipped out their phone and started going to their local DMV. And he immediately got for Alabama, I make. And Freddie from Tennessee got I make <laughs> and hey, Kevin from Ohio, Petruto, sorry, you weren't there. He got <laughs> I make <laughs> and like five of uh, five of the guys hanging around us immediately like secured it for their state. And I'm pretty sure that, uh, that Dylan did for his state as well. And, oh, nice. uh, and slowly this club is only going to be 50 members in it hmm. is getting filled up. And, uh, and I'm the president of the club. <laughs> Self-appointed president. I'm not just a member. I'm the president. <laughs> I oh, do remember. Wait, wait. I'm not just a. Me- I'm not just the president. I'm also a member. Yeah. <laughs> it's the guy, the bald guy. Um, the so I'm gonna get I my, do remember my, speaking of what? your plates, like yeah? whatever. Uh, I think it was the um, Maker Fair event last year. It was like the first time I was getting ready to see you, Jimmy. I had never met right. you in person before. And Bob right. and I were walking over to your hotel. We f- saw your truck. And of course, <laughs> I got myself. I took a selfie with your license plate. <laughs> right, on. right on. That's funny. And I didn't even realize my my license plate is still my YouTube meme. I don't have a picture of my face. I just have a picture of my license plate. My face is like behind the license plate. My eyeballs looking through one of the screw holes. But another story. <laughs> um, so my two picks are Doug and Greg uh, Douglas and Greg uh, Douglas from Retro Weld. And I don't know if I yes. talked about it before, awesome but stuff. he just put up a video of visiting my shop. So people might be interested in that. Just, it's funny to see a different point of view of me where I'm not in control of the edit and uh, mm-hmm. just being myself and talking. And so he's got some images of the neighborhood where my shop is. So it's cool to see that. But check out Douglas's channel. It's a retro weld. And then Greg Porter has Greg's garage. So those two guys were at my shop together. And so there's video cross reference of them both being at my shop on either one of their channels. And, uh, Greg is lately making these twisted steel pens and I helped him drill the first initial few holes. And then he got another channel, Tom's tool room involved. And so now those guys are working together on making a bunch of them. So nice. Just follow, follow that story. It's pretty cool. And those guys are awesome. Good guys, upstanding members of our community. Excellent. Um, well I got two, I had one, but I thought of another one, uh, Mike and Lauren, which we've, I think I've mentioned them before. Mm -hmm. Um, there are a couple that does financial videos and how-to videos. It's an interesting combination. They both have good camera presence and stuff. Um, they've had a bunch of interesting things happen to them. But one video I thought was really cool, uh, they're building a portable shop that's in a uh, trailer. And so they're trying to figure out a lot of the mechanics of how do you move tools around, how do you mount tools and all that stuff. And so there's some interesting problem solving. But he came up with a, a storage idea for 
these like hand clamps that will lock a tool on a track system on the wall. So you can easily lift these things off and then move them around and lock them back in. And and it was like some trial and error within the video and he, you know, there's a lot of prototyping. It was cool. It was neat to see. And I think he's got some really good ideas about that. So go check them out. Um, and then we were talking about music earlier and I remembered uh, somebody I've listened to for quite a while, but specifically um, was heard some of him today. Gary Clark Jr. You guys know of him? Mm-hmm. Super talented guitar player and really soulful. Uh, a lot of like bluesy rock up to rock. Pretty wide gamut of stuff. But if you don't know about Gary Clark Jr., go listen to him because he's really, really good. So... I think that's it unless you guys got anything else for this week no that was good that was a good episode yeah thank you cool well uh thanks for listening everybody and we'll see you back next week see ya i love you every single time